God bless you. Welcome today. Glad you're here. I want to invite your attention to Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah chapter 5, as you're turning there, need to make something real clear. You're either in a struggle now, you're coming out of a struggle, or you're headed to one. Boy, am I not just a bucket of sunshine today. One way or the other, that's what we are all facing. Ray Steadman said that life is a battle from beginning to end. By the way, acknowledging that is the quickest way to satisfaction and contentment in this life. That life is a battle from beginning to end. Steadman, by the way, happened to be the mentor of um, probably the world's most famous radio preacher next to Dr. Stanley, and that's Chuck Swindoll. In fact, he's still on the radio with Insight for Living. Uh, let me ask you, do you know what a radio is? Did anybody use those things anymore? Okay. Well, for many, many uh, decades, Chuck Swindoll's been on the radio. He still is. Ray Stedman mentored him and did a marvelous job. And at the age of 70, Stedman said that uh, the spiritual battle he was facing was in, as intense and more intense at the end than it was at the beginning of his walk with Jesus Christ. And how often I, that happens to be the case. What a challenge it is to be in that. Nehemiah would happen to agree with that. Nehemiah is leading the Jews to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem, and that's when the trouble starts. Listen to me. The devil, D.L. Moody said, never kicks a dead horse. Others may, but the devil never does. He never wastes his time on something that isn't going to be productive. But the moment you get a heart for God, the moment you determine, I'm going to do God's will and it's going to be great for Him, the moment you make a decision to do something great for God, that's when the trouble starts and that's when it started for Nehemiah. Now there's all kinds of trouble in chapters 5 and 6 for Nehemiah. First, there's money trouble. Uh, the Jews there, many of them are poor and the noblemen among the Jews are exploiting them, so much so that they actually have to sell their children into slavery. Chapter 5 and verse number 5. They say, Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children, and indeed we're forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves. They had to sell them into slavery in order to pay off their debts in order to take care of their taxes and to purchase seed for their fields. Well, why didn't they just sell their land? Because if you sell your land, you can't get productive and buy your kids back. So they were caught in many ways. So there's money trouble, but that's not all. There's not only money trouble, but in chapter 6, there's violent trouble. They invite Nehemiah, Tobiah, Sanballat, and Geshem, invite uh, Nehemiah to come negotiate with them. Now, what they want to negotiate about, uh, really, who knows? In fact, they weren't, they weren't sincere at all. They invite him to come down from the work and to, quote, negotiate with them. But at the end of verse 2, he says, but they thought to do me harm. He knew that they were going to attack him and be violent with him and disable him. So th these are the stakes that are involved with Nehemiah's challenges here. This is what's going on with him. But there's a third one. And that is chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, there is rumor trouble. They start rumors about Nehemiah that he wants to be the king, not merely the governor. That he wants his own kingdom, not a city. And so they write letters and they report in verse number 6. It's reported among the nations. 
And Geshem says, well, I guess that just solved it. Geshem said it, that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you're rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. And you're going to enlist some prophets to declare that you're the king, which gives divine sanction to his king. Well, Nehemiah said, well, no such thing is happening at all. They start rumors about him. By the way, you know how to, how to start, stop a rumor and gossip? Ask the person who's gossiping or sharing a rumor, do you mind if I quote you on that? It'll fix it every time. Do you mind if I quote you on that? Well, that's what's going on here in the text. Now, there is a, another challenge as well. There are spiritual problems. Well, they can't get to Nehemiah to negotiate. The rumors don't stop him, and so they send a prophet to him. And they uh, declare, uh, the prophet declares, Nehemiah, here's the word of the Lord. You need to go into the temple, barricade yourself, and hide because they're coming to do you harm. Well, Nehemiah knew better. He's a layman. He has no business being in those places in the temple. He'd violate the law and put his life in jeopardy, which is exactly what this prophet wants. And in verse 12 of chapter 6, Nehemiah perceived that God had not sent this prophet at all, but that he had pronounced this prophecy against me because of Tobiah and Sanballat that they had hired him. It reminds me of the church in North Carolina where on a Halloween night, the pastor came to a church party dressed up in a devil suit. Here in the text, you have the devil dressing up in a preacher suit. That's precisely what happened. You've got spiritual insincerity and deception. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says uh, about uh, servants of, of darkness that it's no wonder because even Satan dresses himself as an angel of light. Not everything uh, appealing, not everything spiritual is necessarily from God. So he's got spiritual trouble. Then there's family trouble. Chapter 6, verses 17 to 19. His primary antagonist, Tobiah and Sanballat, uh, still are working against him. And he discovers in chapter 6, verses 17 to 19, that Tobiah has actually married into the larger Jewish family. And he's writing letters to all these family members to stir things up against Nehemiah. So he's leveraging his family relationships against Nehemiah. He's got family trouble. Nehemiah, in this text, however, ends up flipping all of this to the advantage of the work of God. And look at the result. And I'm going to tell you how he did it in just a minute. But in chapter 6, verse number 15 and 16, look what happens. Look, he's got money trouble. He's got spiritual trouble. He's got family trouble. He's got troubles every which way, even with rumors. And nevertheless, he handles them appropriately. And look at the result in verse number 15 and 16 of chapter number 6. So the wall was finished on the 21st day, 25th day of Elal in 52 days. And it happened when all of our enemies heard of it and all the nations around us saw these things that they were very disheartened in their own eyes. For they perceived that this work was done by our God. In other words, they saw the great work that Nehemiah and the other Jews had done in rebuilding the wall in just 52 days, and they were the ones that were disheartened, not Nehemiah and the Jewish builders. They were the ones that were discouraged, not Nehemiah and the Jewish builders. In other words, they attempted to give Nehemiah and the Jewish builders trouble. It God flipped it on them, and they were the ones that were troubled when Nehemiah was done, and they perceived that it was a work from God. Did you know 
that if you'll walk with God according to the terms of these texts, you will have the ability to trouble every one of your troubles. And quite frankly, I think it's time for God's people to begin troubling their own troubles. It's time for God's people to be the head, not the tail. It's time for God's people to be up and not down. It's time for God's people to move forward and quit moving backward. It's time to give trouble its own trouble. And that's what Nehemiah does. Wouldn't you like to have? Wouldn't you like to have? It said of you, what was said of Nehemiah in verses 15 and 16. Your troubles get disheartened. You don't. And the work is completed. And God gets the glory because he pulls it off because you've handled it appropriately. Well, how can I do that? Well, there's several things you'll need to prioritize. And you'll be tempted to de-emphasize these things anytime, anytime trouble comes. You will be tempted to de-emphasize the most important means of getting through and flipping trouble uh, whenever you are troubled. Instead, you've got to prioritize these things. And the first happens to be this. You've got to prioritize integrity. And that's precisely what Nehemiah does back in chapter 5. Nehemiah was the governor of Jerusalem and the surrounding region, and Nehemiah followed other governors. He wasn't the first one. He followed some other governors. The other governors had lived very sumptuously, an elite, aristocratic life on the backs of the poor people in the area. They made things very difficult for them, and they enriched themselves, and as some people might say, they feathered their own nest with no regard for the needs of the people. But that's not what Nehemiah did. Look at chapter 5 and verse number 18. Chapter 5 and verse number 18. Nehemiah is the governor, but look what he did. He said, now that which was prepared, now he's got 150 people around his table, so this is necessary just to meet their needs. That which was prepared daily was one ox and six choice sheep. Also fowl were prepared for me once every ten days in abundance of all kinds of wine. Yet in spite of this, I did not demand the governor's provisions because the bondage was heavy on the people. In other words, Nehemiah has got a status. He's got a standing. Uh, he's got the need to be satisfied. And he simplifies his life. Nehemiah... Um, diminishes his own opportunity in order to take care of the people that were in there around Jerusalem. Now, he's got a status. He has a right to all these provisions, and yet he rejects them. Nehemiah has also wants to be personally satisfied. I mean, who, if they have a choice between uh, ground beef and ribeye steak, won't choose the ribeye steak? Nehemiah. He chose the ground beef is what he did. So he wants to be satisfied, but he uh, works against that. And, and then finally, he's got a standing before other people. He's a governor. He's got to appear as a governor. He's got to act like one. He's got to live like one and make an impression on others. Yet, despite all of this, he lowers and simplifies his life with integrity. No one could challenge Nehemiah's integrity. And that's what takes place here in the text. Listen to me, sweet people. Whenever you're facing a trouble, you're going to be tempted. You're going to be tempted to compromise biblical standards in order to make peace with other people. You'll be tempted to do so. You'll be tempted to back off and back away, but you've got to understand, God accelerates His work through people who clutch to integrity and will not let it go. 
If you claim to follow Christ and to believe His Word with integrity, you hold to it tenaciously and with everything you've got. Jack Graham put it this way. He said, It is always right to do right. It is never wrong to do wrong. It's never right to do wrong. And the one that clutches to integrity it can be counted on in every circumstance to do the right thing no matter the consequence. Now that leads us to a second priority. Not only prioritize integrity, but prioritize truth as well. And that's what Nehemiah did. He prioritizes truth. They started these rumors and sent letters, in fact, about Nehemiah and claiming he wanted to be a king. But in verse 8, he sent to him saying, No such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. So he takes a stand for truth. He says, really what's happening here is that you're inventing these things in your own heart and mind. Nothing like that is being done with me. He takes a stand for truth. Now, as a pastor, I'm always a little nervous about encouraging people to be bold and assertive and to take a stand. Because in in any crowd there is at least one person with a personality that um, is more like an Atlantic hurricane than Jesus, okay? And and I I don't want to throw jet fuel on that, all right? And and let me say, if you enjoy confronting people, that's not what I'm talking about here. Spiritually, that's not healthy. That's not how God is. God is very patient and tender and kind. But there are times when we've got to take a stand for the truth. In in fact, you've got to understand, God prioritizes truth over our relationships. We don't embrace a lie just to maintain a relationship. God prioritizes truth also above our reputation. We don't compromise truth just to maintain a good reputation with others. Now, we don't intentionally go out and soil it either. But truth is more important than any relationship. It's more important than any reputation. Truth is more important than any consequence. Truth is to win out every time. And that's what's going on here with Nehemiah. He's making sure that the truth works and uh, is, uh, prevails in his day because it is far more important to be on right terms with God, true terms with God, and not perhaps others, than it is to be on right terms with others and wrong terms with God. In other words, we are to always, without flinching, without failing, without fainting, remain on right terms with God, and that is by faith in His truth. Well, what do I do? Let me give you a few tools and place them in your tool belt, and I think that these may end up helping. One, you can ask questions. One question, for example, what do you mean by that when you hear something that surfaced that is untrue? What do you mean by that? Now, I will tell you oftentimes That one question will spin a conversation away from error to truth. A gentle question. Tell me what you mean by that. Tell me your line of reasoning. Tell me your thinking. Uh, If that doesn't do it, a second question can help. And that is, well, tell me me, uh, what kind of research did you do on that? What what are your sources? I'm kind of curious about that. A third question is, why do you trust those sources? These kinds of questions can help turn a conversation from error to the truth. But there's a second tool that we've got as well. Not just questions, but also wisdom. I will tell you, not everything is worth debating. 
Not everything is worth the conversation, to be quite honest with you. You've got to be discerning. Vance Habner used to say, a bulldog can whip a skunk any day, but it ain't worth it. I know a couple teams that could have stood to battle a skunk on the field yesterday. How about you? Truth is, is that there are some things that are just not worth getting locked up with. And you've got to be discerning about that. You've got to ask, is this important enough to have a conversation over? Then, kindness is another tool in your tool belt. Always be as kind as you can be, especially with those with whom you disagree. Always be as kind as you can be, especially with those with whom you disagree. Keep your voice low. Keep a Keep a pleasant countenance on your face. Try to find something to compliment, something to encourage, but always seek to maintain a posture of kindness, especially with those whom you disagree. And then finally, Scripture. What does the Scripture say? I will tell you, when you interject Scripture into a conversation, you actually interject the power of God. Scripture is powerful. And so we prioritize integrity. We prioritize the truth. Then we prioritize prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, the Apostle Paul would say, pray without ceasing. And Nehemiah is an example of this very thing. Chapter 6, verse 14. This is one of 12 prayers in the book of Nehemiah. Verse 14 of chapter 6. My God, remember Tobiah and Sanballat according to their works. Uh, In other words, Nehemiah here in his prayer becomes a spiritual tattletale. He doesn't whine and complain to others, but he goes to God and he tells on and rats out Tobiah and Sanballat before God. And the result is verse 15. They build the wall in 52 days is precisely What happens? And then he prays in chapter 6, verse 9 as well. For they were all trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will become weakened in the work and it will not be done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen our hands. There are these small, quick, um, very, uh, but very explosive prayers that Nehemiah gives to God. And the result is chapter 6, verse number 16. Nehemiah prioritizes prayer. So he's surrounded by all sorts of trouble, and yet he takes time at every juncture to pray. And that was the force of this trouble in this life. Manly Beasley used to say, anything that makes you pray is a blessing. I think that's just a little exaggerated. It can lead to a blessing. It may result in a blessed walk with God. We don't want evil to happen just to have a blessing, of course. That's not what we're asking for, and I don't believe that. But there is a good point to make here. Whenever we face trouble, it does move sensitive people and serious Christians to pray and to seek God in a way perhaps they've never sought Him before. In fact, I'm, I'm convinced that if it wasn't for trouble, some of us would have never sought God in the first place. If it were not a heartache, we wouldn't have trusted him. And this is some of the benefit that can come from trouble. And so prioritize prayer. But there's a fourth priority here in the text as well. And that is to prioritize faithfulness. Chapter 6, verse 15, they get through all of this and they finish the wall. And some of that is due to Nehemiah's own spirit in chapter 6, verse 3. I want you to look at this, and this may be a good verse to memorize for you. Well, 
Actually, the whole Bible is good to memorize, but this will be especially relevant to you in your work. They've invited him to come negotiate. Their intent is to harm him, but they invite him to negotiate. They do it four times in the text, Nehemiah says, but look at verse number three. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. I can't come down. I'm doing a great work. The work that I'm doing is so desperately important. It is such a priority. It is the commission, the will, and the work of God. It is His Word even back in Jeremiah 29. I'm doing it and I cannot come down. I'm not going to flinch. I'm not going to faint. I'm not going to fail. I'm going to give my all to this work. I've got a hold of God's will and I'm not going to give up on God's will. I'm going to do God's will all the way through. I heard of this um, uh, MK, missionary kid that grew up in China, came to the United States for an education, made some connections and relationships, and uh, he was recommended to an energy company, an oil company, that had business in China. But he wanted to go back and be a missionary. He wanted to serve as a missionary with all the privations and loneliness and challenges that oftentimes come missionaries' way. He wanted to go back. Well, the old company offered him a real um, uh, impressive salary, but then uh, he turned it down. They raised it $10,000. He turned it down. They raised it another $10,000. He turned it down then. They said, name your salary. And he said, look, the problem is not that the salary's too little, it's that the job is too small. Anything other than God's will for your life is too small for you. In the morning at the house, on Sunday mornings, my wife prays for you all. Sometimes on Saturday night, she'll pray this prayer. And it changes from week to week, but she prays for blessing, she prays for peace, and then she prays that everyone's clothes will fit and not be too small. You ever wake up in the morning and go, it's all too small? Listen, that's what it's like to live a life outside the will of God. It's too small for you. Anything other than God's will for your life is too small. And that's one of the ways that you avoid trouble. Listen, you'll have enough trouble in your life. Don't have any trouble with God, please. You'll have enough people and circumstances outside your life to cause you trouble. Don't cause your own troubles by getting outside the will of God. Make sure your heart is fully surrendered. Make sure you've got godly counsel. Make sure that you do a daily face plant in the Word of God. Make sure that you learn to listen to God in prayer. Make sure that you pay attention to the promptings and the movement of the Holy Spirit in your heart and life. Anything other than the will of God for your life is too small for you, and it is a waste of time, and it is bound to cause more trouble than you could ever handle. Don't cause your own trouble. Surrender to the will of God because you're going to have enough trouble as it is doing the will of God because Satan never kicks a dead horse. Now, there are these are the troubles that Nehemiah could handle, but there are three troubles we cannot handle. There are three we can't do anything about. 
And this is where you need outside and divine assistance. There's nothing you can do about power for living. In this life, you've got to have more than your own personal and internal resources to get through, no matter what Oprah says and some of the others. You've got to have power from on high. Ephesians 2.1 says, we are dead in trespasses and sins. We're dead. And corpses don't do much. We don't have the power necessary to get things done in this life that we need to get done. That's the first thing. The second thing is, we cannot do anything about death. We cannot do anything about death. Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this comes the judgment. There is a calendar date. There's an appointment every one of us has with death. We don't know when it is, and we can't escape it, and we can't change it. It's going to happen. By the way, the research is in, and studies have found that one out of every one person dies. That's the way it's been for millenniums, ever since the human race came around. We can't change it. We cannot do anything about it. We cannot gain victory or mastery over death on our own. Nor can we finally do anything about the problem of guilt before God. Our sins cannot be ignored. They cannot be minimized. He doesn't ignore them. He doesn't minimize them. They are a really big deal before God. Romans 3, 9 and 10. There's none righteous, no, not one. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. We are guilty before God. There's nothing we can do about it. Nothing within our resources. Nothing internal. Nothing between our ears. Nothing between our shoulders. Our shoulders, nothing in our bank account, nothing in the collective wisdom of the group, nothing. All three of these problems, all three of these challenges will afflict every human being, and there's nothing we can do about any of them. Not one thing. And that's precisely why God sent Jesus, because He can do something about all three. Whenever someone repents and places faith in Him, He actually comes to live inside that person and gives them the same power He had for living. If anyone be in Christ, He's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. That's His promise to you today. Powerful living. And then, death. He's conquered death. In fact, He, he owns the keys to it. He's now the master of death. He says, I'm the resurrection and life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. Do you believe this, he says. He has risen from the dead, and that happens to be a preview of the life and future of everyone that knows him and follows him. But then he's able to take care of our guilt and our stains before God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 say, For by grace have you been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You can't do anything about these three problems, and bless God, you don't have to. Jesus will do it all the moment you repent and place faith in Him. What's it mean to repent? Mark 1, 15, He said, Repent and believe the gospel. What does that mean? It means you stop and you start. Stop believing this isn't a big deal. Stop believing that this is not an urgent issue. In fact, shift from being urgent 
uh, an urgency to an emergency. We've got to deal with these issues. Stop believing it's, uh, it's not important. This is the most pressing, the most important thing you will ever deal with. More important than marriage, more important than dating, more important than romance, more important than education, more important than a major, more important than a vocation, more important than any other factor in human life. Stop ignoring it. Deal with it immediately. That's what it means to repent. But to believe means you start entrusting yourself to Jesus Christ because he's trustworthy. I mean, listen, just think about it. Who cannot trust someone who's perfect and would die and rise again? Now, if you don't want to trust me, I, you know, I understand that. But him, him, he's given his all. He's abandoned his all. He'll say yes to all who turn to him and who come to him, and he'll do that for you today if you'll turn to him. Romans 10, 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, I want to pray for you and ask, that, ask God to help you do that today. Would you quickly stand with me, please? I'm going to pray, and then we'll start singing a song once I'm finished. Our staff will be here at the front to help you make that decision for Christ. I'm going to pray that you'll be able to make it today. Oh, God, would you help friends today to say yes to the Lord Jesus? Would you empower them? Would you strengthen them?